Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 174 called Liliana Vasquez. This episode is sponsored by Pink Stork. At Pink Stork, they create clean, natural supplements for women. Their diverse line of products from gummies to teas and every supplement in between offers something for every woman as they navigate their fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, and nursing journey. You guys, I spent a bunch of time on their website the other day looking at all the products. They have so much cool stuff. Because for Pink Stork, wellness is personal. And as the wellness brand for women, they feel called to support all women on their wellness journeys. As you guys know, our bodies are wonderful and complex, but they don't always act the way that they should. And if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know that. And whatever your ailment is, Pink Stork is there to support you, both physically, mentally, and spiritually. Founded by CEO Amy Suzanne after her own health struggles, Pink Stork is women-owned and women-run with over 80% female employees, which I love, love, love. And I'm so happy about that. Their diverse team cares deeply about offering clean, natural products and also about the women who trust them every day. So wherever you are on your wellness journey and whatever your stage of life, you can trust their products knowing that they're designed, tested, and loved by women like you. The best part, guys, Infertile AF listeners are getting a very special discount. All you have to do is go to pinkstork.com and use code infertileaf 15 for an exclusive discount on your next purchase. Again, go to pinkstork.com, use code infertileaf 15 and you get an exclusive discount. Thanks, Pink Stork. Today's episode is sponsored by Prove, a women's health company dedicated to providing information and solutions on key fertility hormones so they can reach their goals faster. Prove founder Amy Beckley, PhD, invented the first and only FDA-cleared PDG test after her own battle with infertility. When she learned her seven miscarriages and two rounds of IVF could have been prevented by an inexpensive progesterone supplement, she set out to help other women better understand the success of their ovulation from home. Prove's newest kit, Complete, allows women to measure all four key cycle hormones that impact conception from the comfort of home so they can get pregnant faster. With just one test kit, you can better understand ovarian reserve, identify up to six fertile days, pinpoint peak fertility, and check for successful ovulation. And now, the free Prove Insight app takes your hormone knowledge one step further by providing numeric hormone levels, info about what they mean, and personalized action plans to help you reach your fertility goals faster. Prove also offers an entire suite of at-home hormone tests and hormone-supporting products to empower you with the right information on your journey. You guys know I love female-founded companies and products that can truly benefit those battling infertility, so definitely check out Prove. They are awesome. They've been with me from the beginning, and the best part is that they're giving Infertile AF listeners a special discount code. So go to ProveTest, that's P-R-O-O-V-T-E-S-T dot com, enter the code ALLY25, A-L-I-25, and you'll get 25% off your first Prove order of $25 or more. Again, that's ProveTest.com. Enter the code ALLY25 and get 25% off. Thanks, Proof. This episode is supported by Receptiva DX. The Receptiva DX test can help couples struggling with unexplained infertility. Getting pregnant isn't easy, as so many of you know. Many couples struggle with infertility, and unexplained infertility can be particularly frustrating. Women facing unsuccessful IVF may not know that endometriosis is the underlying cause, a disease that can impact the success rates of IVF treatments and often has no symptoms. The Receptiva DX test can help identify endometriosis before an embryo transfer, and it has the potential to save women the stress, anxiety, and cost of multiple failed IVF attempts. The good news is multiple studies show treatment of women with a positive Receptiva DX test improves live birth outcomes by over 50%. Receptiva DX can detect all stages of endometriosis and help women make better decisions in planning for pregnancy. You can learn more at ReceptivaDX.com or download their app, which is also called Receptiva DX. All right, guys, welcome back. Today I am talking to Liliana Vasquez, who is a style expert, a TV personality, host of E! News, and founder of the LV Guide. I'm sure you guys know of her. She's all over the place, and she's going to tell us all about the six years she spent battling infertility. So we're going to talk about how she met her husband, 
how her first retrieval got messed up, how it's difficult to talk about infertility in her Latin community, how IVF is a thief, and she goes into that and has a really, really great way of framing it, so much more, and also how she had her baby boy, Santiago, who she calls Santi for short, which is so cute. So she is awesome. She's such a great storyteller, which isn't a surprise because she is a major TV personality, but we had a great time chatting. She's really raw, really honest, no bullshit, and I just loved our conversation, and I hope you do too. So without further ado, this is Liliana's infertility story. Okay. So thank you so much for doing this today from Montauk. I love it out there. Um, thank you. It's exciting to be here with you and thank you for letting me be one of your stories. It's so great to meet you. So let's just start at the very beginning. I always ask people, you know, did you always want to be a mom and have kids? (laughs) It's so funny. That's, that's such a complicated question. The answer is I envisioned myself having a family but I was never the kind of woman that like dreamed of like nurseries and had her baby names picked out. You know, I am first generation Mexican and Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. And my mom always instilled like a real love of like education and curiosity in me. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of raised to 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 look beyond like the, I mean, not to say this disrespectfully, but for her, like, the constraints of like, kind of, I guess, traditional gender roles that she Mm -hmm. grew up with. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was one of the first people in my, in my family to go, to go to college, like Mm -hmm. out of our town, forget out of state. Like that was crazy. I was the crazy girl that left. Right. My priorities were different. You know, I really wanted to focus on building my career. Um, I wanted to travel. So I knew that family would play a key part in my life at some point, but I wasn't hyper-focused on it. And there were definitely times when I was like, oh, if it were just my husband and I, like that would be okay too. You Mm -hmm. know, it really wasn't until I was faced with the fact that like, I might not be able to get pregnant, Mm -hmm. that it came hyper, hyper clear for me that I was destined to be a mom. And it is what I wanted so deeply and so passionately. It's so interesting that you say that because I feel the same way. I was never hyper-focused on it. And then when I wasn't able to have, I had secondary infertility. So when I wasn't able to have my second baby, I was like, I've never wanted anything more. Like it really like came to the top of like priorities for me. So I think that happens with a lot of people with infertility. So tell me how you met your husband. So we met on New Year's Eve in Miami at a party. I had gotten out of a very long-term toxic relationship the spring prior to meeting my husband. And I had kind of just decided that I no longer wanted to really be in relationships. I just wanted to like be a single girl in New York and have a good time. And I had had like enough of men at that point Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my very young 25 years. And I was like, I'm just, I'm done with this. Like I am happy to go out and meet people and whatever and have a good time. But like, I am not looking for any kind of serious relationship at all. Mm -hmm. Well, fast forward to that winter, um, my girlfriends and I decided to go on like a girl's trip for, for New Year's Eve. And my good girlfriend had gone to college with my husband. I had never met him before, by the way, but, um, and she was like, Oh, a bunch of my friends from college are here. We should hang out with them on New Year's Eve. And I was like, yeah, I've like heard things about this group of guys. They're not really my cup of tea. Like I'd rather do something else. And I had you heard. Um, you know, like there had been some stories about, and by the way, let me, let me preface with my husband was not part of this group in the stories that I had heard his name got thrown in because like, it's a group, but he was never present for any of this horrible stuff that happened. Okay. And what I mean by that was like, you know, like this was a group of guys that worked in like finance and hedge funds. And they had gone on like a big dinner with a bunch of, not a bunch, but my girlfriend, Lauren and a bunch of her friends. And then they had itemized the check. Mm. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't care about like splitting. Like I, I make my own money. You make your own money. Like right. <laughs> you can split a check, like do the division. It's real easy. I don't care if I had an appetizer and you had like a filet. 
we're good. We decided to spend time at dinner with each other. We're going to split the check evenly. Right. Do not itemize. Oh my God. (laughs) A check and don't itemize a check when we are all like single, no responsibilities and all have good secure jobs. That's not okay. Exactly. So there was that. And then there was just like some instances of just like really bad, like toxic frat boy behavior that I had heard of. And again, I was coming out of like a toxic frat boy relationship. So I just had zero, I had zero tolerance. Like that's just not what I wanted in my life. You don't want douchebaggery coming into your life. No, I don't need it. Like I'd had enough of it in college and I had enough of it post-college. And I was just like, that's not, those aren't the people I need to spend my very valuable time with. Right. So I, this was the reputation that I had, you know, going into this night of, of this group of young men. And, you know, I painted all of them with the same brush, which I should not have done. And that is a, I learned to not do that um, because my husband was there that night and he Mm -hmm. is not any of these things. And so, yeah, we met on New Year's Eve and we were engaged nine months later. Um, So dreamy. Yeah. I I mean, listen, it's every relationship has very like high, high, high peaks and very low, deep valleys. But yeah, we met nine months later. I mean, we got engaged nine months later and then we married like a year and a half later. and then. We were like 20, I was 27 when I got married and, you know, we lived and have a a beautiful life. We both love to travel. We're both really independent. We both love our jobs and things were really, really good. And then I went to my gynecologist and everything was different. So what happened? Were you guys talking about building a family and what did the gyno say? I would say that, um, you know, I was, so I was 35 when I went to this appointment, but prior to, so I got married at 27. Mm -hmm. I wanted nothing to do with even talking about kids until we were like really in our like thirties. And it was my husband who was driving the conversation at like 30, 31, 32, you know, his friends, he's a year older and his friends were starting to have kids. And I was like, that's amazing for them. And like, I love like the fact that we get to hang out with friends that have children, but like, I am not there yet. Like I was starting a career from scratch basically Mm -hmm. at like 30, you know? Mm -hmm. So the last thing I needed was something to take my time away from that. And I knew from my friends that had had children young that like, they are everything. Mm -hmm. Like you can say that you want balance. You can say that you're still going to work, but like in the beginning, in those first very, very important, like a few years, like they are your life and it's wonderful that they're your life, but you have to be ready for that. And I wasn't. I wasn't, and I wasn't going to pretend like I was. And so I kind of was like, babe, I get it. Like, we'll get there, but like, I'm not there yet. Like I'm new. I'm I'm starting a career from scratch and this is really important to me. And it's really valuable. And like, and honestly, we had only dated for nine months before we got married. And I'm not saying that having a, like a lot of years under your belt makes you better parents, because I can tell you this now it has, it didn't make, we waited forever for whatever reason, but it didn't make us better parents. We're still in constant conflict because you are new. You birth doesn't just give birth to a baby. It gives birth to new human beings as parents. So true. We are different. So it's not at the time I thought we don't have the kind of foundation that I think we need to like bring another human into the world. Right. So we waited. And then at 35, I got offered an amazing job. I was asked to co-host with Meredith Vieira as part of her panel. So awesome. I was a contributor on the Today Show. So I was juggling two network shows. And in that time, I was like, oh, crap, I got to go to the gynecologist. (laughs) So I did. And my gynecologist is amazing. And I love her because she is not one of those doctors that's like, oh, you're 35. Like, you better get on it. Um, she was like, oh, I read the announcement in the paper, like, congratulations. I'm so excited for you. Like, you know, this probably means that you're not going to be hyper-focused on family for a while. Have you thought about like, is that something you want to do? And I was like, yeah, we thought about it, but you know, I'm not like, we're not actively trying. She's like, great. I'll get you more birth control. And then she also said, but while you're here, we're going to do just like normal blood work. I just want to run like a really casual AMH test on you. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. what's, what's AMH? Right. And she's like, oh, anti-malarian hormone. And I was like, oh no, no, no. I'm not traveling to Africa. Like I don't need a malaria test. And she was like, uh, no malarian. And I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and by the way, I'm somebody who is very proactive and very informed about my reproductive health and my health in, in general, I always think you have to be your number one health advocate. Nobody else is right. And I had never heard of this. 
at right. all. My friends had never said a word about it. No one had ever done this test. And I was like, okay, well, what does it mean? Yep. She's like, well, basically she's like, it's just like one test that we do. It's very preliminary. And it just gives us a little bit of a window into like your egg quantity, not quality, just the quantity of eggs, you know, and mm-hmm. if everything is normal, cool, we'll just move on. I was like, okay, great. So we ran the test. I thought nothing of it. I didn't even Google it when I got home, to be honest with you. I was like, yeah, obviously I'm fine. I'm healthy. Right. I don't smoke. Right. Don't drink a lot. Don't do drugs. Right. Live a pretty healthy lifestyle. I'm fine. Okay. Well, shocker. <laughs> like a few days later, I am about to go live on Meredith's show and I see the office number come up and I'm like, okay, when they call you, this is bad. Like this is bad, bad, bad. So I ran to the bathroom and sure enough, she was like, listen, she's like, I, I don't want to alarm you. And I was like, well, you already did. Cause you called. And she said, but I got your AMH test back and I'm really concerned with the levels. It's like borderline undetectable. And it's very, very rare that I see this in somebody your age. Mm -hmm. I want you to come in and I want to repeat the test. And I was like, I was like, okay, but like uh, uh, enough of that. What does this mean? Right. And she was like, it doesn't mean anything because it could just, we've got a bad reading. Like maybe it's a lab. She literally said the word lab error is how low my AMH level was. Wow. And I said, okay, but what does it mean? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, it just makes me very concerned for your ability to conceive naturally. And I was like, does that mean I have to have IVF? (laughs) That's how I said it. Mm -hmm. And she was like, if we do this again, then I'm going to refer you straight into a specialist. And I was like, does this mean I can't have kids? Mm -hmm. And she said, it means that you might not be able to have kids naturally. And okay. I said, okay, but can I be a mom? She's like, yes, you can always, she goes, you can be a mom if you don't get pregnant. And I said, Aww. okay, fine. But like, can I have a baby? And she was like, just come in and we'll go through everything. Okay. And so, then they're like, and you're on, and you're like on camera. <laughs> and then they're like, Liliana, like in right. my ear, because I have a cell oh phone here and I have an IFB in this ear. And they're like, Liliana to set now. Right. So I'm in tears, oh, right? Like, yes, like totally sit down on the bathroom floor. Don't know what's happening to me. And I'm like, fuck, I got to like get my shit together and go on TV. And like, by the way, this was my life for the next five years. Get your shit together, go on TV, pretend to be happy, pretend to be okay. And like, do it all live with a smile on your face. Oh, and don't mess up. I don't know how you did that. You were a complete badass for keeping it all together for real. Well, Because I think that women are able to do, I, I think women are uniquely able to do this. I don't think men could ever deal with what we have to deal with Same, and yeah. present and pitch and be an, it's just, it's not possible. What right. we're able to do is literally mind blowing to me. Right. We are actual superhumans. Agreed. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so we repeated the test and long story short, my AMH level was like basically that of a woman, like going into menopause. <laughs> And I went straight to an IVF doctor who basically was like, listen, I can try an IUI on you, but like, I just think at this point, like you're 35, this is your age level. Like it's only going to probably get worse as we wait. And so let's just go straight into it. And Do you so you remember I, what the level was? Did they give you? The yeah, number? it was like point. I think it was like 0.02. Point okay. 0.02. The first one was 0.018 and the second one was 0.02. Okay. And were yeah. you just devastated? And what did your husband think? I think my husband didn't really know what to make of it. I think also like looking back, I think he felt like I was being a little, I am a little bit of an alarmist. I, if I, once I like focus on something, it is like all I can think about and it is all I can do. And I think when he saw me just go like head first into IVF world, he was like, Whoa, slow down. Like, you know, this can't be right. And this can't be real. And like, you're healthy. All of these myths that we believe about fertility, right? Like, but Lil, like your mom never had an issue getting pregnant and like you're healthy and you've never had like cancer and you've all of these things that have nothing to do with infertility. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I I was saying those things too, because I didn't really know anyone other than like a coworker that had gone through this. And 
I just wasn't asking the right questions, right? Of myself, the people around me. I just wasn't having conversations about IVF. I really right. wasn't. And at 35, like, why not? I should have been. No, um, I was the exact same way. And it's so funny because our numbers line up too. Like I got married at 27, moved to New York at 30 and starting kind of a new career chapter. Wasn't thinking about having kids. Didn't know anything about my fertility. You know, 35, I had my daughter, but it was like, then I had secondary infertility. So lots of the same parallels. And I think it's very common as women, like, we just aren't taught a lot about fertility and it's very frustrating. No. And, you know, honestly, I think back about, you know, I think about how important my doctor was in all of this, because if she had not run that test on me that day, Mm -hmm. I would have like completely plowed on in my career and in my life. And maybe at 38, maybe at 39, I would have been like, Oh, okay. Now it's time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know that it would have made a huge difference because, you know, I was canceling, I was canceling retrievals all the time because I was really only, even after all the hormones and the drugs, I was still only making like two eggs. And so that was kind of where my body was. Right. But it took me a long time to finally get what I needed. Okay. Um, So can we unpack that a little bit? Tell me, you don't have to go into all details, but you know, your first round, how many rounds did you end up doing? How did you respond to meds, all that stuff? So we were doing, we ended up doing a lot of IUIs because so when I was doing my shots, right. So I was doing my like normal protocol. I, the most follicles and eggs I ever had to go with at a retrieval was four. Okay. Okay. For comparison, when most people do like a normal stim cycle, whether that's like 10 days or 15 days, you're usually getting anywhere from like, call it a dozen to two dozen mm-hmm. eggs in your thirties. Now, obviously not all of those eggs are mature. Some of them are a little immature. You know, you, there's variance in the quality of them, mm-hmm. but I would say 12 to 24 seems to be like an average retrieval. Um, and then a little bit less than that, you know, is also normal, like eight to 12. So I was at 50% of the low end of normal. So Mm -hmm. four, and by the way, four was one time. There was one time when I went in for retrieval to get four. Mm -hmm. So, and in that four, I had two that were like the right size. Right. And in that retrieval, my doctor mistimed my trigger shot. And so I ended up ovulating. Oh, shit. And when she went in to retrieve, she only got the two that were actually immature and not the two that we felt were the most viable. Okay. That was my very first retrieval. Yeah. And I woke up and she was next to me. My doctor was next to me and I lost Mm -hmm. it because I was like, why are you here? Like, why are you here? And she was like, Liliana, I... I, you're, I know you're just waking up and she's like, but we need to talk. Like I, I need to apologize. Like, I don't know what happened. This happens sometimes, but I think we missed, mistimed your, your trigger shot. Oh my God. And out of the four, the two that we thought were the most viable and and, and the biggest, we didn't get them. Mm-hmm. We got two. We feel like maybe there's a chance, but I'm going to be honest with you. They're, they're on the small side and they might not survive and they didn't. And that was my very first retrieval. Oh my God. So how did that feel? I was shattered and broken. And in my head, for whatever reason, I had told myself that like this one IVF round was going to lead to a beautiful, healthy baby, which I think a lot of women do, Mm -hmm. right? It's very expensive. It's emotionally taxing. It is a huge sacrifice emotionally, financially, every way you could describe it. It is a huge sacrifice. And then to get that news, you're just like, but this was my, this, this was supposed to be my baby. hundred percent. Yep. And what you learn is that IVF is just a tool and it is one of many tools, but IVF does not guarantee that you will have a healthy baby. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. And I think that that's really important because I think when people go into IVF, the expectation is that they do IVF and they get a baby. Mm -hmm. That is not the case for me. Best case scenario, I did IVF and I was getting a viable egg. Okay. An egg, you get an egg. That is what IV IVF means. You get an egg. It doesn't Mm -hmm. even mean that you get an embryo. And by the way, sometimes you do IVF and you don't get an egg. I know it's just, yeah, it's just, it's a gamble. All of this is a gamble. There's no guarantees. 
And I know my doctor said this to me. And by the way, my doctor's amazing. They were all amazing. I went to three different doctors, all of them amazing for different reasons. And I changed doctors because, you know, sometimes like I would want to change the protocol. And again, I believe in being your own best health advocate. And if my doctor didn't agree with that or felt like that wasn't the best decision, then I wanted to get a second opinion, right? So that's why I saw multiple doctors. But I do think that it's important that we do not equate IVF with having a baby because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of steps that need to happen in between. And if you disconnect that, then I also think that you're able to really understand what the process is and how many times it might take to actually get to the end result, which hopefully is having a baby, Mm -hmm. but equate IVF with a baby and a healthy pregnancy. We should no longer be doing that. It's really dangerous. And I think it's very dangerous to the mental health of women going through this. Yeah. And I used to think that IVF was like a choice. Like you're like, Oh, I just want to have multiples. Like I was so clueless about it before I got into this world that I was like, Oh, it's for people that want to have twins or triplets and (laughs) it works every time. And you can pick your gender. And I mean, it was so, I know I was an idiot. I was like an IVF idiot. Here I am going through this, somebody who's smart and has access to all of the resources in the world. And I was an idiot when it came to IVF for like at least the first two years, I knew nothing, didn't know, like wasn't talking. And I think a lot of the reasons that I didn't know a lot is because I made a really stupid decision, but it was right at the time, looking back, hindsight is 2020 to keep my IVF battle private. Mm -hmm. And I did that for a lot of reasons. I think culturally, Um, IVF isn't something that we talk about in Latinx households. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think at one point I had, I'd been in my grandmother's house. This was when she was alive. And there was a story on Primer Impacto, which is like this evening news magazine about IVF. And I just happened to be there with her when she was watching it. She watched it every night. And I remember her saying something to the effect of like, this is so wrong. Mm. And like, who are we to be playing God? Oh, interesting. And, you know, I just never, again, I wasn't even thinking about getting pregnant at the time, but I'll never forget her saying that about that story on the show. And, you know, my grandmother passed away while I was going through this. And in that time, I was like, what would she say if I told her that I was going through this? And I know that she didn't mean it personally to me. And I know that she had been alive to like correct herself. She would have said, that was something that I didn't know anything about. And I was having a reaction. And by the way, it's okay to not know about things and have a reaction and then go back and change your mind. Right. Right. But that moment stuck with me. And I always thought, I don't, I, I don't want to have to explain to myself. And I felt so much shame because I felt like, Oh, I can't do the thing that I'm supposed to do, which is make a baby. Like, how can I not do this? And also culturally, like there's so many really dangerous stigmas and stereotypes about Latinx women, like saying, oh, well, like we just get, like, we're like barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, like popping out babies. Like right. our husbands, our husbands look at us and we get pregnant. Right. And so when you're battling against all of that cultural stigma yourself, you're just like, Ugh, I don't, I, I don't want to share this publicly with my family, you know? And uh-huh. it was even hard for me to tell my mom. Really? What um, did you end up telling her and how did it go? Um, I told her when I, st- when I knew that I had to go right into like the shots, I told her and she was wonderful. You know, she said, and she was very honest. She's like, I don't know anything about this. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what you're talking about. And, you know, I know the last thing you need is the burden of educating somebody else while you're educating yourself. Mm. So like, I'm going to try to not ask a lot of questions and I'm just going to be here for you, but just so you know, like, I don't know anything. And so you're really going to have to like, if you need my like support on something specific, you're going to have to walk me through it because I don't know how to support you in something that I don't understand. I feel like that's like the perfect answer for your mom to give you, you know, like just being so honest. She was, and I'm going to use that. And with my daughter later in life for (laughs) anytime there's something I don't understand and just like, I don't get this. And I respect her so much for saying that because I didn't want her to pretend. Right. And I didn't want her to fake support because you can feel that she's my mom. Like I know when you support me and I know when you don't. And, but it was, but it's, it wasn't easy because I couldn't talk to her about like the stuff. And then the only person I had to talk to at the time was really my husband. Cause I didn't even tell my friends what I was going through. Really? Yeah. And that's why I'm such a huge advocate for mental health support when you're going through IVF now, because if I had had that person, I think I would have had a lot more success 
And I would have felt a lot more confident as I was going through this journey. I, I don't really understand how my IVF doctors didn't mandate that I see a therapist. That's while such a good point. Yeah. That's why, you know, we, I I co-founded fertility rally, which is a a community of women, you know, that are going through family building because it was, I didn't have it when I was going through it. And so we created this place that we wish we had when we were in the midst of it. And it's so important because I felt so alone and so like insecure around my friends. Cause I was like, I know they think I'm always talking about this baby stuff and I'm obsessed and they probably, you know, like it really did a number on my self-esteem too. Yeah. And had I had these women that were in the thick of it too, it would have been so much easier. It's community is everything when you're going through this. And, you know, like I said, it's, it was so important for me to share my story and also to talk about the mistakes that I made when mm-hmm. I was going through it, because I would never, ever again do it. I would yeah. never say, do this alone. You've got this. Like right. the toll that it took on me right. is it, it's, it's damage that I'm still trying to repair. Right. It's trauma, yeah. right? It's real trauma. And, yeah. you know, we talk about, you know, we talk about loss um, in pregnancy all the time, right? Miscarriage. But, you know, I think we also need to talk about how much loss happens when you're going through IVF. And I don't just mean the loss of an embryo or, or the loss of a pregnancy. I just mean the loss of identity. I mean, the loss of freedom, the loss of relationships. There is so much loss that starts when you enter this world. And for whatever reason, it's like, we think that the loss has to be a miscarriage for Mm -hmm. us to, you know, have help and ask for help, but it doesn't like it's, it, it was so much. And it started for me to really come out when I was pregnant, it took mm-hmm. that, it, it took finally getting pregnant and then sitting with all of these emotions that I had just packed away and mm-hmm. buried. And then that was now impacting my pregnancy. Right. And well, I want to talk about that, but first I feel like yeah. I want to stand up and give you like a standing ovation oh. saying all that about loss, because it's also the loss of time, the loss of a dream, the loss of your plan of how you thought your life was going to look right. IVF so, is a thief. It is, it is a thief. And yeah, that is how 100%. I Can we talk about it. your relationship? Did it, did yeah. it affect that with you guys? And, you know, you don't have to say yeah. anything you don't want to, but I mean, I've been totally. very open about how it affected my marriage and my husband and I were like on the brink and it was really oh my God. bad. I think at, I guess at like three, it must've been, okay. So what year, so I got pregnant in 2020. So it must've been 2018. That's the summer of 2018. I think my husband and I went through probably like for not just the IVF, but I think IVF really triggered a lot of the behaviors, both on both sides, his side and my side Mm -hmm. that led to a real break in our relationship. And that summer, like I didn't know, first of all, I took a break from the shots and from the protocols because I just didn't know if I could do it anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Like how many times do you have to like cancel a cycle and how much money is this costing? Absolutely. And, and, you know, as you're going through this, you know, because I made a poor decision to go through this alone, you know, like the toll that it took on my husband, I don't think that I was really aware of it. And I didn't, I couldn't be aware of it because I didn't have the bandwidth to like be concerned for him while I was also trying to be concerned for me and also totally. this baby. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds really selfish, but like mm-hmm. he's the last person I ever thought about when I was going hundred percent. It's so, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, and you know, I just, it, he felt, he felt alone too. And it wasn't, it's because I had no outlet for all of this trauma and for all of this depression and this anxiety and this mm-hmm. feeling of being out of control and the shame, like all of it, like he was the person. And so I took it all out on him and I used him as my counselor, as my therapist. And he's not, he's my husband. Right. And so in 2018, I mean, we broke, we fully broke and it took a long time to come back from that. And when we finally came back from it is kind of when I think acceptance played a big role in like accepting the fact that like, you know what, like it's okay if I don't get pregnant, like this is okay because we as a couple just want to be a family. We want to be parents. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be pregnant. 
we want to be parents. Mm -hmm. And when we accepted that as our destiny and our ultimate wish, Mm -hmm. that's when things really shifted for us as a couple. Mm -hmm. But also I think for me mentally, as I went into what became kind of that like last hurrah, like that Mm -hmm. last time where I was like, okay, this is going to be it. I don't Mm -hmm. want to do this anymore because Mm -hmm. I had already started exploring other options, you know, surrogacy, adoption, donor, like, and I was really okay with, I finally became okay with all of that. Mm -hmm. But it yeah. really took breaking our marriage for us to come back and say, whoa, yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? Exactly. And also for him to kind of say, there needs to be other people in your life that can help you with this. Right. So did you start going to a therapist then, or was it not no. until you got no. pregnant um, I or after going, pregnancy? So I was going to a therapist because I was dealing with the break in our marriage, right? Okay. So we went to, we decided to not go to couples therapy, but to go to individual therapists, mm-hmm. because like I said, we were both at fault for what happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And I needed to work on my own shit and he needed to work on his own shit so that mm-hmm. we could then come together and figure out, okay, do we still want to be in this marriage with each other and then fix the marriage? But we needed to take care of ourselves as individuals first, because we were both dealing with a lot of stuff that wasn't each other's fault, but was impacting the success of our relationship. Right. So at that point, I did share it with a few very like close coworkers and my closest friends what I was going through. And that really helped so, so much. Yeah, definitely. So what was going on treatment wise? So this was the lot you decided this was our last round. This was kind of, yeah. So this was, so from 20, the summer of 2018 to really the fall of 2019 Okay, is when we were both kind of like in therapy, figuring things out. I took a whole break. I took mm-hmm. a full year. And then when we started that year, so that was 2020 was kind of when I started really exploring other options. Like what else can we do? Right? Like what about adoption? What about surrogacy? What about donor? Like I started meeting with all of the doctors and all the right people and having conversations with people that had gone through all of this. Right. I had this community of IVF women, but I didn't have a community of adoptive parents or of donor parents or of surrogacy parents. And so I spent a lot of time researching that and really like, I'm a journalist and I'm a storyteller. So like, I need to do the research. I need to do the work. And that's how I really spent the beginning of 2020 was digging into all of that. And when I finally kind of thought about like, okay, these are the options that feel viable for us. These are the options that feel good. These are the options that I think we would consider. I went to my doctor and, and he was like, I think that this is great. You're setting yourself up for success because you're bringing in all of these other elements that we didn't think about before. Mm -hmm. And so that was, I think, aside from the acceptance, I also think like surrendering to this idea of, of being parents was emotionally really, really important because I kind of let go of the obsession Mm -hmm. of being pregnant Mm -hmm. and that pregnancy was no longer the only means to the end. Like it wasn't about that anymore. Mm -hmm. I didn't care how I had this baby in our life. I didn't care. Yeah. There's that notion of like, when you want something so badly and you're holding onto it so tightly, there's almost no room for it to come in. And then when you're You're able to like suffocating this idea, when you're able to like release it and let go a little bit, there's something to that with energy or the universe, or I don't know, but I mean, I I really believe that. And I know my doctor was like, okay, Liliana, cause he's a scientist, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, but you know, he was like, okay, but yes, it, it just, I think it opened, obviously it opened my mind. It opened all of my energy, but it just opened my heart in a very very yeah, and it might have to do with stress and cortisol levels and all that yes. too. You know, yes. I mean, it, I think it all comes to play. Nobody knows the answer Nobody or knows. why things work or why it doesn't no. work, but I definitely believe in the energy shifting and the mindset shifting and all that has a lot to play. I mean, science obviously too, but it all every little bit has a part, right? I agree. I think everything has a role, and yeah, I mean, it's a miracle, right? We can't if we, if we could if we could recreate the miracle everyone that wanted a baby would have a baby. hundred percent. We can't do that. Well, I'm scrolling through your Instagram and you are the most glamorous and like gorgeous pregnant person. So <laughs> tell me about when it did work with your, with your sure. Son. So we obviously all got shut down, locked down in March of 2020. And that really, I think also forced a lot of us to just pause for the first time in our lives, at least for me you know, I look back at all of the different rounds that I went through and, and what was going on and, you know, the transfers and then, you know, the two week wait, sometimes, you know, I look back at what I was doing. I was running a marathon while I was trying to go through this because as much as I wanted this pregnancy and as much as I wanted this baby, I wasn't willing to really like take a break. Mm-hmm. And so I remember I did like a transfer and I think I got on the plane 
to LA like 18 hours later to fly to LA for the day. Oh my God. And looking back, probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I just wasn't ready to slow down my life. I thought yeah. that I could do this and keep my life going at the same pace. And you just, for me, it, it wasn't the answer. And I think right. the pandemic really forced a pause in my career and a pause in my life that I don't know that my son would be here if that pandemic hadn't happened. And I know that so interesting. the pandemic has been heartbreaking for so many families and mm-hmm. it has been devastating. Um, but I have to say that the one silver lining has been the fact that it forced me to shut uh-huh. down in a way that I never could have done otherwise. Yeah. Cause it seems like to me, just from an outsider's point of view, you've been busting your ass and doing so many different things career wise, and you've accomplished so much. And, but it's like you, the, the hard work is, is evident. You never, nothing was, it doesn't look like anything was ever just handed to you. You like, yeah, we're no, a hustler. I, I have, and I've a, never fucking, stopped hustling ever. I yeah. still, I, I don't even know how to stop. And right. it's because you said it, nothing has ever been easy for me. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. I'm like a fighter. I'm a survivor. Yeah. My mom's a fighter. She taught me how to fight and that's cool. Right. Like, I, I really only know how to do that. And right. so when we took that pause in 2020, we were in Montauk and things were slow. And, you know, I thought this is the time to do this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were still, we still had our apartment in New York city. So I started thinking, okay, let me like get healthy and let me like go back. You know, I was like, let me try to like get, go back to like all the healthy habits and that all failed miserably. So, you know, it didn't work the first time I tried it. And then I was like, you know what, I'm just going to live. I'm just going to like, be stress-free and I'm going to like drink the real Coke and I'm going to have margaritas and I'm going to eat processed foods and I'm going to drive to Chick-fil-A. And that's just how I'm going to live my life. I'm just Mm going to be me. And you know, if this happens, great. And if it doesn't, then like, we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, like doing away with all of like the, Mm -hmm. I'm going to wear socks all the time and I'm not going to eat out of plastic containers and I'm going to be doing acupuncture every six days. And I didn't do any of it. Mm -hmm. I just lived. Mm-hmm. I, I I chose the easiest way of living life. And I saw my doctor and we changed the protocol a little bit, but not really. And, you know, that was it. It was for whatever reason it worked. And so that and round well, was successful. Did you get more eggs and embryos or no, like what? No, okay. no more. Nothing really changed. The numbers stayed the same. It's just that, you know, I had transferred embryos in the past, but the pregnancies never stuck. Right. So I never, ever had that like first beta where I was like, yay! like it just, it never took my two week wait always ended up in a negative pregnancy test. Okay. Even though we were transferring what were graded as like really great, strong embryos. And I think when we, we had, we ended up on this, on my very final round, we had two embryos and they were fine. They weren't great. They weren't the best, by the way, they weren't the best embryo grades that we had ever gotten. And he kind of, advised to pick one over the other. And I said, sure, that's fine. And we ended up transferring and that's Santi. And I transferred on election day of 2020. Oh, and I remember we were staying at the hotel. And so I went in that morning, I did my transfer and I love my doctor, Dr. Chapman, who did the transfer. And I was like, okay, Dr. Chapman, we've been here before. you know? And he's like, I know he's like, you know, just relax. Like what? I was like, well, what should I do? Like when I go home, like what, what should I do tonight? He's like, you know what? He's like, have a big glass of red wine. Ooh. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And he's like, and don't watch CNN. He knows I love politics. He's like, please don't watch CNN. (laughs) Right. So I took half of the advice. I drank the red wine. I ate a giant bowl of pasta and I watched CNN until two in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and then it worked. You know, for tell me about getting that call that it, that you were pregnant. Um, so my doctor is really funny and I, so we transferred on election day and then that I was in Montauk at the time. And so he's in New York. Right. And so I was getting blood work done at a lab locally here. So I didn't have to go into the city all of the time. And so he sent through like a lab request that I got like via whatever email or text And I was like, okay, that's weird, but whatever, I'll just go in. And I was supposed to go into the city to do my test later that week. And so I think it was like a Monday or a Tuesday. And so I went to um, Amagansett and I did the blood work and I didn't think anything of it because 
I was just in such a routine of going to get blood work that I didn't question it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I was excited for the distraction because we all know the two week wait is like the worst. And I was like, cool, I'm going to go into Amagansett. I'm going to have lunch. Like I'm going to do a whole thing. Right. And so I did the blood test and like they, you know, I didn't, I don't even think I asked what the, I don't even think I looked at the order. Like, I think I literally was just so in the habit of like handing the order, sticking my arm out, getting pricked and leaving. Right. And so, and I knew that my test was scheduled in his office later that week. And so I was like, whatever. So I come home and Patrick isn't here and my phone rings and it says unknown. And Dr. Rosenwax's phone number always shows. Oh, it says no ID, not a no, no ID. And mm-hmm. he's one of the only people that shows up like that. And I don't know why, but he does. And it was like, maybe like seven, it was like later and it was mm-hmm. dark outside. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hello. And he was like, and he has a very distinct voice. And he was like, Liliana, it's Dr. Rosenwax. And I was like, hi, Dr. Rosenwax. Is everything okay? And he was like, it's better than okay. And I was like, okay, like, why are you calling me at seven o'clock at night on a Monday? Like, I'm not supposed to see you till Friday. And he was like, you're pregnant. Oh my God. I just got the chills. <laughs> and he was like, he's so flat, like he's so flat. You're pregnant. Like, just like, you're pregnant. Not right. like, you're pregnant. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you're pregnant. You're pregnant. And I was like, I'm sorry, come again. And I was like, what? And by the way, I was like five minutes away from driving to the pharmacy in East Hampton to get pregnancy tests because, you know, the crazy person in you is like, well, should I just take a pregnancy test anyway? And they tell you not to, because you could get a false pot. Like they tell you, don't do it. But I was like, I'm bored. Patrick's not home. He's not going to be here until nine o'clock. Let me go to East Hampton, get a pregnancy test and I'll pick him up from the train station. And I was like, but how do you know I'm pregnant? Like, wait, 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 what? Whoa, stop, stop, stop. And he was like, well, he's like, I know he's like, I know you. And I know you're probably like seconds away from buying a pregnancy test. Oh my God. I love it. He was like, so I went ahead and just thought, let me just run your levels today to see where we are. And then I can confirm it on Friday if I get, he's like, but it's so high that I think that you're, I'm pretty comfortable saying you're pregnant. And he's like, obviously you need to come in. We'll do it on Friday. And I was like, oh my God. Like, oh my God. I was like, literally, I was sitting on my couch in my bedroom, like in shock. Like I'm pregnant. Like me, like I'm pregnant. Like I have a baby inside of me. Right. Right. And like, I was kind of like in like the suspended state of disbelief Mm -hmm. where then I was like, like, I forgot to call my mom. I forgot to call my husband. Cause I was just like walking <laughs> around the room being like, I'm pregnant. And I kept saying it over and over. Like I'm pregnant. I'm right. pregnant. Like out, like I must have, if someone had been watching me, they would have been like, girl, you're pregnant. <laughs> like, I'd be like, I'm pregnant. Like me, like I'm pregnant. Like I just kept saying it was so stupid. Oh my God. Wait so long. And no one's ever said that to you. And you're and by the way, I had, like I said, I never had a positive pregnant ever. It's not like I had ever like had a positive beta and then like it ended up like going away. Like I had right. never, ever experienced someone telling me that I was pregnant. Amazing. So I was just, and then finally I like realized that I should probably call my husband. Right. Called <laughs> him and he was at the station, of course. What did you say? I was like, Patrick. And he was like, what's up? And I was like, I'm pregnant. And he was like, what? Huh? Again, you don't, when those words are so foreign to you saying that is like, I might as well have said it in Chinese. Like it doesn't make any sense. Right. And that's just not two words that we ever thought we would hear. Right. Oh my God. Ever, ever, ever. So incredible. Tell me about pregnancy after infertility. Like it's not, there's anxiety there. Right. And that's another thing I've been trying to talk about a lot because I don't think it's discussed enough, but yeah, I mean, I, I I've said this before many times, you know, I felt like for whatever reason, like we, as a society don't give pregnant women the permission to feel complicated emotions. Mm. The world thinks that you should always just be like filled with like joy and gratitude for pregnancy and anything outside of those two emotions are not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And that's not okay. Um, because pregnancy is complicated and it's really hard and it's really challenging. And like, there's really, really bad days 
and it's okay. And you don't have to have those days and view those days through a comedic lens because I think sometimes that happens too. Like we're only allowed to express those emotions through comedy or through like making light of or making fun of how hard it is to be pregnant. And while comedy is essential and there's definitely days when I needed to laugh, some days I just needed a woman to tell me that like it was fucking hard and she like doesn't know what to do with herself. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you couple that with all of the anxiety of being pregnant for the first time and having gone through IVF, for me, I spent almost at least an hour a day while I was pregnant for the first two trimesters being like, is today the last day I'm going to be pregnant? Yeah. Am I having a miscarriage right now? Does this mean I'm having a miscarriage? Yep. Like everything triggered is every time you wipe, every time, every time yeah. you wipe, you're like, yeah. Um, or like every time I woke up in the middle of the night, like did the, did, did I just lose the baby? Yeah. And yeah. so all of this like anxiety and stress and then how that takes a toll on you. Like I was depressed during, mm-hmm. uh, in my second trimester, I was depressed and it goes back to the loss and the trauma that I had compartmentalized and put away and buried and hid. It was all bubbling to the surface. And so I was dealing with how do I process all of that trauma, but also stay healthy in my pregnancy. And that is when my OBGYN in LA made the recommendation that like, I think really impacted my mental health the most. And I think ultimately led to the very successful pregnancy that I had, which was seeing a therapist that specializes in maternal wellness. And by Mm -hmm. the way, I did not know that there are therapists that specialize in maternal mental health. Yeah. That was news to me, but they're out there and they are angels among us. Yeah. And if I did not have Dr. Salik, I like really don't know how I would have survived pregnancy and now motherhood. Right. It's so important. And there's therapists that specialize in straight up infertility too, which I didn't realize either, but you know, there's some niche down doctors out there that are so good, such good resources. And I'm such a big advocate of therapy. It helped me so much when I was in the trenches. Oh my gosh. I, I love everything that you're saying. And I love your point of view on all this stuff before we wrap, what would you say to somebody who's listening right now? That's like in the shit, in the thick of it and like struggling. Um, I would say that like, you know, vulnerability is the best lesson that I learned through my pregnancy. And I say that because I think our fellow IVF moms and, and, and IVF dads and warriors are, are some of the strongest people on the planet. And oftentimes I think that when we are so strong, vulnerability doesn't come so easily to us. And there is so much strength in vulnerability and vulnerability means that you can ask for help without feeling ashamed that you can ask for help without explanation. Right. And that you can say, I can't do this alone. I'm not strong enough to do this and I need help. So really lean into that vulnerability because not only does it matter so much when you're struggling with infertility, when you're pregnant, but I also think that it has made me such a better mom to my child Mm -hmm. and like just feeling that and feeling all of the feelings and knowing that they're okay and crying for no reason. Like these were all things that I thought were negatives until I really started to see them as the strongest parts of who I am. my friends thank you so much for listening and thank you so much to Liliana for sharing her story and so happy about her beautiful baby boy Santi he's so cute guys check out her Instagram and as always if you guys are looking for community please check out Fertility Rally we are an online community virtual community we've got members all over the world we have four support groups per week we are there for you no matter where you are in your journey so If you're just starting, if you've been in it for a while, if you are pregnant after infertility or loss, or you're a new mom, we have something for all of you. If you're single, if you're in a relationship, doesn't matter. Everybody is welcome. LGBTQ, of course. So we would love to talk to you guys and love to support you. So check us out on Instagram at Fertility Rally, or you can go to our website at fertilityrally.com. And I will talk to you guys next time. Thanks. Thanks.